Welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people making an impact in the fresh produce sector. We'll take a deep dive into what they do and find out how they're helping to reduce the amount of food lost or wasted along the farm to fork journey. But before we get started, did you know that according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, around 45% of the world's fruits and vegetables go to waste each year? If you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a part of the industry or simply a consumer, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today. Now, time for your host, Mitchell Denton. Hi there, and welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Four, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people of interest across the food supply chain. Today on our show, I'm joined by Matt Joswiak, from Rethink Food, who I'll be talking to about how his New York-based nonprofit organization has been a useful tool in locally creating a sustainable and equitable food system. So with no further delays, let's get started. Well, hello, Matt. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Before we get into things, I just wanted to ask if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, and maybe a fun fact about yourself. Sure, sure, sure. Um... My name is Matt Joswiak. I'm the founder and CEO of Rethink Food. Um, I run an organization called Rethink Food based in New York. What we do is our mission is to create a more sustainable and equitable food system. So we do that two ways. One, we use excess food to make meals for local community centers. And then two, we give out grants to, to small businesses owned by women and people of color to mm-hmm. make meals for their local community centers. And, and a fun fact is I have a St. Bernard named Root Beer. Root beer, okay. Yeah. What's the origin of that name? You know, it's I was drinking a root beer, and I was thinking about what I should name my dog, and I was yeah. like, I should name it after something that I like, something uh-huh. you know, things that I like. Yeah, and I was thinking like I really like root beer, and uh-huh. that's that's that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I get it. I I love myself some root beer as well. So great name, great name. Yeah. All right then. So. You've been in the food industry for almost all your life. Would you mind giving the listeners a quick history lesson on your humble beginnings and the journey that led to Rethink Food? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I started in kitchens when I was like 18, 19, washing dishes, working the overnight shift at a coffee shop, doing like the, the baking for the, you know, mm-hmm. like the stuff at the window. And uh, yeah, I did that for like a year and a half or so. And then I moved to Chicago and, and just really fell in love with the people and, and the industry and the hospitality and like the wide range of ingredients I've never seen before and mm-hmm. passion, the technique, the craftsmanship, all of it. Like I was just completely enamored. It really felt like um, the community and the people that I was around, I really felt like I was kind of meant to be there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, moved up to Chicago, worked at a couple of restaurants up there doing pastry actually for a while. And then when the recession hit in, in 2008, um, you know, I really didn't know what to do and all the fine dining was kind of, you know, done. So I moved up to where I grew up, which is, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And I worked, uh, at a Capitol grill. I learned a ton. I actually really enjoyed working at the Capitol grill, uh, saved my money and then moved to France with a little help from my dad and, um, worked in the South of France, worked in Lyon trained underneath some incredible chefs. And that's really when my career kind of got serious. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. 
and uh, learned incredible amounts from the people there. It was just, once again, totally immersed with the culture and the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I uh, was lucky enough to get to go to Noma in, in Denmark. Oh, wow. Worked there for a couple of months until my visa ran out. Um, and then headed home to Milwaukee. And really, you know, this is kind of a point in my career where I actually just like had no idea what to do. You know, like set out and you're like, I'm going to go do this thing and work at these great restaurants. And it's like, now what? And so I, you know, really kind of jumped into management and started managing people at uh, a small restaurant downtown Chicago. Uh, worked at another restaurant, um, two Michelin star restaurant. And then finally, my friend convinced me to move to New York City. And we were doing some like nonprofit work. I worked as a bar back at the Nomad Hotel and Bar. And then when that kind of stopped, since 11 Madison Park was a part of the restaurant group, uh, I went over to 11 Madison Park to be a chef de partie. Yeah, wow. And so from that to rethink food, what's the leap there with going fully into this nonprofit? Yeah, it was um, gradual but fast. You know, I really wanted to do something. And I, th- I think, you know, it goes back to like everybody kind of like follow your dream and go be a chef or an artist or a painter or whatever. And like mm-hmm. you really follow that thing in your heart. And um, I realized that the thing that I loved about what I was doing was not the fancy food, which I did enjoy making. It was that being around a group of people that were excited about doing something for somebody else. And that really got me fired up. So I started doing like a little nonprofit work here and there, and it really energized me. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do this and well, let's talk to some other nonprofits and tried to get involved, but really realized that there wasn't anything that matched my skill set. So while I was at 11 Madison Park, I kind of started really thinking about it. And I really live by this ethos every day, which is do the thing that needs to be done, mm-hmm. not the thing that you want to do. You get a deep sense of fulfillment from that. So I, I, the one thing that nobody wanted to do in the nonprofit space was drive a truck around Midtown at two, <laughs> two to four in the morning and yep. bang on the back door of fine dining restaurants and collect their excess food and drive it back to Brooklyn and unpack it at 4 a.m. Yeah. So uh, we're doing that. It's funny because we have sort of similar backgrounds. I got my start in hospitality as well. I worked in a few different kitchens and I really enjoyed serving people and hospitality in general but i don't have to tell you you witness a lot of waste as well in that space i mean as much as being in the kitchen you can take measures to try and reduce that waste just even observing it on the consumer front as well so it's really cool to see you take that leap and take some action which kind of leads me to ask would you mind talking about the current state of food insecurity in the u.s yeah it's pretty bad. Um, you know, in New York, it's like one in six base food insecurity. And I think before I kind of dive a little deeper, it's important to like understand what that means. And I think there's a lot of communications problems around how we talk about food insecurity and what it is. You know, like one of the most biggest food insecure communities in the United States are college students. And people don't think they are the homeless or this and that. But it's really hardworking people and and people who don't have the resources to do that, which is like most people I included, I'm sure, you know, 99% of people find themselves at one point in their life, really finding it challenging to pay for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. So with that being said, it's a sizable amount of the population and it really has to do more with wealth and equality than any other kind of external features. 
So you mentioned before, Rethink began in New York, but in a short amount of time, it's expanded into Washington, D.C., San Fran, Chicago, Nashville, Miami. As you continue to scale, what does Rethink's mission look like going forward? Well, we're trying to build a community. And I think that in the last six months, we've really like kind of got that down. That's what Rethink is doing, which is like just people who want to help people to work together. It's not one size fits all. So, you know, we have restaurants in Miami that fundraise for other restaurants to make meals. We have Patchwork that we partner with in Nashville and they fundraise on their own and we help a little bit and Sean Brock helps a little bit. We all put it together, you know, so we're really just trying to like build the spirit of hospitality entering into the nonprofit world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we scale depending on where uh, the opportunity is. So what would you say separates Rethink from other nonprofit organizations? Oof. I don't know. I think there's a lot that we've learned from other nonprofit organizations. But I think the main thing is, you know, Rethink, you know, if somebody said, we want you to open up in, or, or scale up in Chicago, we wouldn't open, probably wouldn't consider opening a commissary kitchen. But it's that, you know, we really have this unlimited capacity through our restaurant network and partners. And I also think I think we're very, not to say other nonprofits aren't, uh, but we're very driven by the needs of the community leaders. And we spend a lot of time trying to understand their needs and their demand. Yeah, so that. Okay, okay. So then what's something that people seem to misunderstand about nonprofits when it comes to food rescue? Uh, are there any mentalities or mindsets that are largely needing to be shaken? Oh, the whole thing. I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too crude. I mean, I think that most people imagine bags of potatoes taken out of a restaurant and given to homeless people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's just like idea of like what the soup kitchen lines are and what they were when we learned about like the Great Depression and like all that stuff. You know, yeah. like it's not. It's just not that. Like, it's really just about sharing, you know? Mm. Like, it's not like, it's, it's that simple, you know? And it's like, if somebody who, uh, you know, a really close friend of mine went and volunteered for Rethink, and she's an incredible person. Let's tell a story to prove the point. And she kind of coaches me and helps me through challenges of Rethink. And I was talking to her about it, talking to her about it, always talking about it. And she goes, and she's like, in Harlem, she's like handing out like meals from uh, Mana Soul Food, which is an incredible soul food restaurant. And she comes back and she's like, wait, so all you do is like buy thousands and thousands of people lunch every day? And I'm like, yeah, isn't it sick? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like it's not, it's just, it literally is about sharing and giving somebody a break. We've all been there where you're like hungry and you're running to an event or something like that, or somebody goes, Hey, I got you lunch, or do you want half of my sandwich, or blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Like, that's the vibe. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So then, with that thought, at, at what point does attempting to rescue excess food lose its value or become more trouble than it's worth? Let's see. I mean, every every donation is like a question around that, you know? like, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes a donation, anything that's obviously been out for more than four hours between 40 degrees Fahrenheit and 140 degrees Fahrenheit, sure. but a lot of it's time and place, you know, like we had this, somebody from a Wimbledon watch party or something got canceled and there were like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of boxes. Yeah. Like we, them because we really needed them then. 
But if it was like a holiday season or something like we just would, you know, there's there's it's really kind of like the story about when somebody buys you half a sandwich. It's like, well, if it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you're having that, we offer you that right now. You'd be like, no, I'm drinking my coffee. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) there are some there are some instances where we don't need it. But it's always a discussion. And it's really up to this one incredible person on our team, Carlin, who's who's been with us for a long time. But uh, yeah, they basically are the decider. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So then from where you stand, what would you identify as being one of the biggest pain points or blind spots when it comes to food waste in retail and hospitality? The the biggest challenges are entirely around communication. Mm. You can't use that. You don't want that. This nonprofit doesn't need that. Like this whole thing. Like it really is just, I mean, I don't know if you're in your hospitality journey, if anybody told you like, well, actually um, it might actually be you might actually have liability where you are, but in the States, there's no liability. There's no risk. You could donate mm. a million pounds of chicken and whatever, like a bunch of people get sick and like, God forbid that never happens, but mm. you never get sued. It would, it mm. won't happen. We're protected, but it's really just about what you can donate. What does donate look like? You know, also like people have all this food left over at the end of the night in restaurants or events, like they should really be encouraging their staff to take it home because a lot of hospitality staff and they live with two or three people. I used to do this all the time in Bushwick. I would take the food home and we, you know, Frankie'd bring one thing, Robbie'd bring the other. And then we'd all sit and kind of have like a little feast. Yeah. I think there's a lot of fog around what can be done here locally in Australia. I, I think there's a lot of just kind of random myths that kind of float around, around the legality of giving food a second life. And I spent some time working in a kitchen in Canada and it was kind of the same. I, I worked in a place where for the longest time we had excess food and we were told that we couldn't do anything about it. And there, there was quite a, a population of, of homeless people within the area and we felt like our hands were tied. And then we did some digging and some research. We found out over time that we were more than okay to kind of give them what we had. So we we had to do a bit of a tweak and adjustment to how we operated in the kitchen and we had all this excess food that we could then hand off to the locals. But it just took a bit of digging and a bit of research to kind of demystify, I guess. And, and I think the same applies to Australia. Yeah, I think it's a big part of it. I think it really is what, you know, Rethink's done a lot of really incredible things and really proud of what the team has done. But I think one of the best things our organization kind of accidentally did mm-hmm. was, you know, we take food from 11 Madison Park. We take food from big institutions like, mm-hmm. you know, 11 Madison Park has been one of the best food donors we've had. They've been with us since day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of changes. And so every cook that rolls through there, they understand it. They get it. They get that you can do it. It's really a huge it's really just that mind shift thing. And so if there's one beacon that's like, oh yeah, well, Rethink figured it out in New York. Well, maybe we can figure it out here. That's mm-hmm. the impact that we, we really hope to have. Unmeasurable, but we hope we can have. Yeah, absolutely. So then are there any particular success stories that you're particularly proud of? We recently partnered with the city of New York to, to actually engage in some contracting work that kind of proved the model out. Mm. I have a fun excess food story if you want to hear. Oh, please. So during COVID, um, the first couple months, you know, New York City is famous for steakhouses and this incredible steakhouse, Keen Steakhouse, the dry aging room was like running over because like, obviously they weren't selling many steaks. So they donated like, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands 
thousands of pounds of porterhouse. Wow. Additionally, the lobster shacks and stuff like that, like little lobster places, had all this cryovac frozen lobster. Mm. Um, so we were serving surf and turf steak and lobster <laughs> at like with shelters in New York wow. at some of the hardest times because that's just what happened in the supply chain. Wow. And that really, you know, it really, that story always makes me really think about value and tied in place and like mm. situational about how possible equity actually is in our system and sustainability is in our system and how just sharing and communication mm. can lead to incredible meals. It's really very possible. Absolutely. That's amazing. See, that right there is like a mind shift for me. Because when you think of food rescue and nonprofits, you think about there's this like crumbs from the table type mentality. So to hear like serving surf and turf is absolutely amazing. That's that's really cool. Yeah. So on that note, working in the nonprofit space, what's been the biggest surprise for you? Uh, I think the lack of collaboration between mm. agencies and nonprofits. I, I you know, and I just yeah, over time, like when you're a, if people think about like three mission star restaurants as being like ultra competitive, but like. If you wanted to go spend a half day at Per Se or John George or like whatever, like as a three Michelin star cook, you can go to these restaurants to go learn. Mm -hmm. And when I started Rethink, I really wanted to go to other nonprofits and learn. And they were like, no, you can't do it. I'm like, I can't go like work in the office for a day at the other nonprofit. There's, there's more of a competitive mindset in nonprofits, which I ultimately think, to be honest, is, is good because it forces the industry to innovate faster. So that was a little shocking. And then um, it's also a lot more just like there's KPIs and quarterly goals. It's a lot more intense than I think people think it is. Okay. Well, continuing on this thread, what's one thing you wish you had known when you began Rethink? You know, there's a lot. It could fill many, many, many books. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I bet. I think the hardest thing for me, honestly, was like, I didn't really, you know, I'd only been a cook. I'd mm -hmm. only been in service. And so I really didn't understand what office people did. And so it was really hard for me to learn to manage folks that worked in offices. And it's just completely 100% different. And I don't think I valued it as much as I should have in the early days. And I learned about that and like communication and things like that are so important. And so I think that what I've learned as a leader is just, you know, giving people finding really, really good people, setting really clear expectations, but giving them the space to like, just like, you know, you're a cook. It's like you chop a hundred pounds of carrots. Like that's what you do. Yeah. But if you're in marketing, it's not like you just make a hundred Instagram posts. Like you have a strategy and you think mm -hmm. about building a brand and it's just like, it's just different. It's not yeah. better. It's not worse. It's just different. Yeah. So as we come to a close, Matt, I just wanted to ask you, what is the major point you really want the listeners to take away from this episode? I'd like listeners to kind of take away that every little thing you do helps. And like, you know, if you're donating 10 bucks to something or thinking about donating your food or bringing it up or whatever, it's just like, don't lose sight of the fact that we live in a community. I know sometimes we hang out in our little apartments and think it's not really a community, but it is. Mm -hmm. And you, you're, you're much closer to the cab driver and to the person you see walking down the side of the street you probably know somebody who knows that person. And so realizing that you are actually in a tight-knit community and doing things for your community will not only bring you joy, it'll create a better city. Yeah, I think that's a great place to leave it. Well, 
That's all for today's episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Thanks for listening and thank you, Matt, for joining us. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about Matt and Rethink Food, check out the link in the description of this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to write a review and share with your friends. Until next time, you've been listening to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, a post-harvest podcast. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a supplier, consumer, or anyone in between the farm to fork journey, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today.